0: Welcome to the Fod Eater Fod Pass. <laughs> hey everybody, it's Froth here with the Thought Eater Podcast, Thought Eater Blog. Hump Day Blogorama! Thank you very much. <laughs> Can you tell I've got a few days off coming from work uh, in a pretty good mood, so... Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for checking out the show. Yes, that's right. We've made it to another hump day blogorama. The weekly show where I talk about cool stuff that I spotted on RPG blogs and um, everything I talk about. I post links up over at the thought eater blog Froth Soft. terrible name. I know it. Don't give me any flack about it froth saw, froth sof dnd.blogspot.com or just google thought eater blog and you will find it so all the links i talk about here you'll find over there and y'all i'm not exaggerating when i say there is some amazing material this week Ah, uh, in fact some of it some of the stuff that i saw even up to tuesday i'm having to try to kind of smash into next week because i can't if i make these two hours it makes no sense so you know i'm sure there's awesome stuff i missed there's awesome stuff that i saw that i'm not gonna be able to get to i just tried to put together a good show i can't get to all of it but look if you are i've put up in previous previous episodes ways to follow along with the blog scene uh, you can always check out the read or die blog roll over at the thought eater pod, uh thought eater blog I looked at it, I think I got 754 on there, you know, there's a few that aren't exactly RPG things, but if you're digging, if you're digging the blogs, you know, I'm not covering everything, there's a lot more awesomeness going on, so, uh, get over there and check it out, I don't know, y'all, I had to work in Atlanta, uh, today, and then, uh, there was some, some driving involved, so, a little frazzled, but, but I'm good. So there's always new blogs popping up. I was talking about the Thought Eater uh, reader Die blog roll and so I, I'm not gonna be able to catch every new blog that comes out, but I did this last week. I mentioned a couple of new blogs that I saw, you know, brand spanking new bloggers to welcome to the blogosphere. And there's a few that I wanted to give shout outs to today. One, Norpo. What's up, Norpo? Blogging over at Logarithmic Lexicon. L-O-G-L-E-X, loglex.blogspot.com. They've got one post up. Just started rocking and rolling over there at Logarithmic Lexicon. Welcome to the blogosphere, Norpo. Oh red Of Lizards and Wizards. They come up later in this uh, show, actually. Um, but lizardsandwizards.blogspot.com. Let's see. This is PK Dragons blog. What's up, PK? Welcome to the blogosphere. PK's off to a and start. Um... Has something that comes up later in the show, like I mentioned, Slaytanic Musings, Slay, S-L-A-Y, slaytanicgaming.blogspot.com, .blogspot, did I say blogspot or bogspot, uh, uh, and they go by Slaytanic, Slaytanic Tendencies, so what's up Slaytanic, welcome to the blogosphere, they got three posts up so far, and last one I noticed, this one's just Elf, a-E-L-F, Elf. A-E-L-F dot work, Elf, and they've got a couple of posts up, and this is uh, a good looking blog, so what's up AELF, no it's Chris, posting at Elf dot work, um, good flavor and artwork over here, uh, with Elf. fact got a downloadable PDF at a post called senseless pursuits y'all can check out so anyway these links for there may be have been some other new ones this week but these are the four that I noticed so want to give all these folks a shout out and uh, added y'all to the blog roll I'm checking out what y'all are doing I'm digging it so keep it up congratulations on starting a blog all right so before I go any further I got a couple call-ins from Liran from the uh, Updates from the Middle of Nowhere podcast, relatively new podcast here on Anchor. And a variety of topics, Liren's got a lot of wisdom, really enjoyed getting some calls from Liren, and uh, so let's check those out real quick.
1: Hey broth, I loved this episode. I don't read a lot of blogs, but oh my gosh, I especially loved the part at the end where you talked about the science article that you read, and uh, I love stuff like that. Um, If you ever ran that game with satellites around the Earth and all of that, I would be fascinated to listen to it, maybe even play in it. So I love creativity, and when people think things up based around things they hear, I mean, isn't that like the foundation of sci-fi? So, anyway, I loved your podcast podcast. I hope you get to recharge your batteries. I know midweek can be a drag, but I hope you have a great day, and thanks for an interesting episode. I had another thought when I finished to the very end of your podcast, comma. Sorry I didn't finish and include it in my first comment. I didn't know that you did a zine. You know, it's funny. I remember when I was young, zines floating around and stuff like that, but I was never really into it. And now my husband is uh, showing me zines that he's getting. I'm trying to remember what the most recent one he got was. I want to say it's from Ray, but I'm not positive. Anyways, he is really into that right now. So I'm not sure he realizes you do one. I'm going to make sure when he gets home that he knows. (laughs) Anyway, I find zines to be fascinating. I mean, what a great way to be creative without having to involve the whole publishing industry and all of that BS, right? Anyway... um, I look forward to looking at one of your zines, whether my husband does or not. Have a good one.
0: All right, well, first, thank you very much for listening and calling in. And uh first, I'm thrilled that you got something out of and enjoyed the uh, the uh sci-fi inspiration piece from last week. So I didn't know exactly, you know, you don't know. I know a few people who are listening, but I don't know everybody out there that's listening. Lots of folks that I've never met, and you don't know exactly how things go over, so I didn't know how people were going to necessarily... You don't know how everyone's going to perceive everything that you say. But those were things that jumped out at me during the week that I really wanted to talk about, and I found interesting. And I uh, So I'm glad, yeah, like you, if somebody had that setting with, you know, I can picture all these different whatever... I don't want to call it like Westworld. I still haven't, I've seen the old school, whatever 70s Westworld. I haven't seen the the new show, but you know, you can picture weird decadent pleasure satellites or, uh, you know, really stratified wealth, you know, like there's the poor satellites going around and the, uh, militaristic ones, or, um, I don't know. There's all kinds of intrigue and, and weird stuff you could do with a, with a setting and it, so yeah, last week I was talking about Jeff Bezos from Amazon his his future vision of these uh inhabited satellites uh, with a million people plus on each one, you know, rotating around the earth, creating their own gravity and stuff and it just seemed like a cool um you know, seed idea seed for a for a sci-fi setting. As far as the zines go, yeah, you know, I've I've only done the first issue. It's called Psionic Platypus, kind of a play on the thought eater creature. But I'm working on issue two. I've already got the idea for issue three. Issue two taking a minute because my daughter designed it. and I'm having to transcribe that. And then she also did some art for it, which I need to... I don't have a decent scanner at my house. um. So... I'm having to scan that and reformat it and all of this kind of stuff. So, uh, but it is in the process. I was hope I'm still hoping to maybe get it done by the end of May. I was trying to have a target of having one a month and it's not for not having the ideas and everything. It's just uh, putting it together, but I'm still hopeful. I can maybe slap it together. Um, but anyway, yeah. And you know, i as far as zines go, I loved them back in the day, but it was mainly skateboard zines that I was familiar with. I skated a lot and there are a lot of people that everybody'd make their own little magazines with pictures of them skating and doing stuff in it. um, so that was my first, um, kind of exposure to zines. And then you'd see some punk zines and stuff like that around the same time. But, um, I didn't, I wasn't really aware, I was too young when I started playing, I wasn't aware of all the RPG zines back in the day, but there are so many now they are so great, I've got a massive collection, I try to buy at least one issue of everything I see, and and many zines I follow, I I buy every issue. Um, Like you say, it's a, a way to circumvent any sort of company and do your own thing, much like podcasting on Anchor or blogging. And, um, there are so many of the OSR Anchorites that have their uh, own zines. Um, it's almost like I could name them all, but it's easier to name the ones that don't have zines than to name the ones that do. Cause there's so many, but just to name a few, Ray Otis's Plundergrounds, Logan Howard's Swordbreaker, Tim Shorts did the Manor and is now doing zines as part of his Patreon. Um, Matt Jackson uh, Jason Hobbs and many others, um, have done zines or sporadically do them or do them regularly. And so it's a, we're all zine crazy over here on anchor. So, uh, yeah, it's called psionic platypus. It's up for you. Pay what you want on drive through if you want to check it out. And, um, yeah, so appreciate the call-ins very much. Thank you. So we're going to get into some maps now. Here we go almost forgot another couple of zines from the anchorites. How could I forget rich Fraser from cockatrice nuggets with a nugget zine? And don't let me forget Pete Jones, with the dragons are real zine pamphlet zine. I don't know. Um, I don't know if Pete was doing that one as an experiment or if Pete's going to do more of them. But, um, and I, you know, if I, for, if I forgot any other anchorite zines, my bad, it's been a long day. Um, you know, some of these, I'll record some segments on Tuesday. I'm recording this one on Tuesday because uh, I, to get this stuff out in the morning, I got to sometimes start a little early on some segments. So, apologize to any anchorites if I'm forgetting your zine. Like I say, it's easier to list the anchorites I know don't have zines than the ones I know who do because there's so many. Anyway, on to the maps. Xenopus Archives. Talked about it before. It's like dedicated to the old Holmes basic set. Archives.blogspot.com z-e-n-o-p-u-s put up a post the tower of xenopus and ghosts of salt marsh so the the new 5e book uh, ghosts of salt marsh people have it in their hands now uh, it updates the classic salt marsh trilogy and uh, some other older adventures from the different uh, dungeon magazines i guess and uh, i pre-ordered it on amazon they said it shipped so i don't have it yet but i will soon at any rate, uh, they're, they're posting about how they added the Tower of Xenopus, uh, you know, from the Holmes Basic Set, onto the map, the Saltmarsh map. And so uh, Xenopus Archives added Tower of Xenopus where it is, you know, in the book, onto the Saltmarsh map and from, uh, you know, the World of Greyhawk um, from those old adventures. So I, I stuck that up. Cool post. Now you've got a Tower of Xenopus right there next to Saltmarsh. I thought that was cool. And if you read through there, it's got, uh, the, the post actually has got some information about, you know, where they placed it, uh, salt marsh and gray and all this kind of stuff. Let's see. Okay. Vintage DM. I talked about the vintage DM recently, the vintage DM.blogspot.com. Couldn't help mention it again. Cause Edward can, uh, Edward can or Edward con over there is killing it has been doing a series of village maps and, uh, I put up an image of one up called Langercleef. These are really cool style. They're not, um, you know, they're not for battle maps. They're more, uh, images you can show the players and, and kind of look at, and I love Edward's style. So if you like this one, be sure and stroll, um, scroll back through the last few of Edward's posts to look at some of these other villages Edward's been looking on. But, uh, Langerclief is uh really awesome. Great post. A little seaside uh um uh you know, little seaside thorpe. Not much there. Check it out. Uh okay, so I, I've been following this person C I hope I'm pronouncing it right. C Z E C on uh on Twitter and they have a blog, mirror dot C C Z E P E K U.com. Turns out Piku is their partner. And so C and Piku, I followed a link on Mirror Squid. I know this one's sounding weird, y'all, but I followed a link on the Mirror Squid blog. It said Battle Maps. So of course I'm like, huh, see what that's all about. I end up over at C and Piku's Patreon. I put up a link to this patreon.com forward slash C Piku. C Z E P E K U. And, of course, I'm probably the last person to know about this because they've got a runaway, successful patron, uh, Patreon here, like over 500 supporters, like almost 2Gs a map pack, and you can see why because they're these brightly colored, fantastical, um, masterfully illustrated battle maps. They've got several up for free that you can check out. I put one up on the Thought Eater blog that you can look at. And these are world-class, y'all. I'm not kidding around here. This is world-class artwork here. So I'm so glad that I went over and dug a little deeper into what C and Pacu are doing. So congratulations, y'all, on the success of your Patreon. Um, and it, it's well-deserved. Your artwork is amazing. So y'all check that out. Um, let's see. Classic Froth... I want to avoid that classic fraught dead silence. All right. Yeah. And so now this was really awesome. I follow this blog called map of the week, map of the week dot This is one that if you're, uh, into history, um, to follow and check out because every week they put up some kind of cool historical map, sometimes cooler than others. Well, this week it was Goldfield. Goldfield, Nevada was a boom town. Gold was discovered there in 1902 and within a few years it became Nevada's largest town with about 20,000 people. As of the 2010 census, the population was down to 268. So, it says this map does a good job of conveying the chaos of the time. So, it's got maps of Goldfield that I put up a a, a zoomed in image of one of the section that shows all the competing land ca- claims and how this you know, this would be it's called uh Goldfield. This would be gold for a Wild West game. You've got a gold rush map uh that is so awesome with all these different uh, claims to the the mines and everything and then it's even got um uh a railroad map there and uh, and a little bit about the history, so yeah, uh, If you want a Wild West map, something that really shows that gold rush, look no further than Goldfield. This is a fascinating historical map. I love the style of it, everything about it, so wanted to point that out to y'all. All right, so this was really cool. Wanted to share it immediately upon seeing it. Uh, first, Geek Native put up a post, the 1994 Japanese version of Dungeons & Dragons looks amazing. And they link back to an earlier post from Thorfinn Tate's blog, The Atlas of Mistara, which is mistara.thorfmaps.com And so this is from like the, I guess, uh, rules cyclopedia era. And, you know, some translations in different countries, there would be, you know, a couple of pieces of art, you know, a couple of little differences, you know, because of collector's item here, it's just, radically different it's broken into three books and it's got like a manga influence you know manga mixed with D D kind of so yeah, i found it really fun to kind of scroll through these pictures again at that second link the mistara one uh, mistara.thorfmaps.com it's got tons of pictures from the book and you can scroll down and uh try to pick out what the classes were the way they do magic users i thought was hilarious they got these little outfits on and um Uh, they do a really cool take on the gear, you know, a a spread on, uh, what gear you can buy and, and, uh, and then the monsters all look a little bit different. Some you can pick out some, I'm not really sure what I'm looking at. (laughs) Um, love it. And, uh, tons of scans too, tons of great images. So if you want to see like a manga take on D and D and, and how, uh, it was imagined for Japanese audiences back in 1994, Uh, It's really fascinating, so great stuff over there from Geek Native and the com. It's a great time to be a gamer with a bunch of awesome new releases coming out, but it is a terrible time to be my wallet. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, as far as some new releases and reviews, I know I've talked about the fourth edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay a few times. This will be probably the last time I feature any kind of overview or anything on it, but I'd heard Colin Green from Spike Pit talking about it uh, on a podcast this week. Colin was checking it out. I don't have it yet. I've got first edition. and I'm not sure I need to update, but with all these new products coming out and a whole new um, Enemy Within and stuff, I don't know. They're going to rope me into it probably, but RPGknights.com has a, uh, and that's nights like a Knights of the round table. RPGknights.com has a, a, another fourth edition review. If you're like me and you're just kind of waiting for somebody to talk you into it, go check that out. But the big OSR release, the big one is Deep Morphean Transmissions from Emmy Allen, a.k.a. Cave Girl, with Scrap Princess, no less, doing the artwork. Now, if... Someone, if you see someone ask, who's killing it in the OSR lately? Like who's, who's rocking it with the OSR? You're going to hear the name Emmy Allen come up probably first, uh, Gardens of Yen, Stygian Library, Wolf Packs and Winter Snow. Emmy is endlessly creative and very prolific. Um, so this one, Deep Morphe and Transmissions. What's the deal with this? DMT. Well, that should give you a hint. Uh, But anyway, it's described as a dreamlike blend of espionage, noir, Lovecraft, and surrealism and body horror. Whoa. That's a mouthful. And uh, the artwork looks great, as you might imagine. So this thing is like taking place almost in like a dream setting. It says it's influenced by Jacob's Ladder and Lovecraft's Dreamland stories. Sounds amazing. Games in this setting will be excursions into paranoia and weirdness the breaking down of reality is a big theme. So yeah, so I put up a link to buy it and also a link to, there's like a free players pack that comes with it. I haven't purchased it yet because I probably want, I I want this in print. And, um, Emmy mentions that the print's coming at some point probably, but so I don't know if it looks imminent and the prints coming. I'll wait, if not, I'll have to go ahead and grab this, because the the whole dreamlike weirdness uh, really appeals to me, Um, and it made me want to go on an interesting, well, hopefully interesting aside, since we're on the topic of weirdness, uh, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I guess, in uh, college, um, I was heavily into wanting to learn to lucid dream or astral project and stuff like that. I don't know. What can I tell you? I was an anthropology student. I was reading a lot of Robert Anton Wilson. I was reading a lot of Carlos Castaneda, even though at that time already, obviously he was discredited, you know, making up these books about talking with this, um, Don Juan, you know, native, native, uh, American. Yaki, uh, Yaki, from the Yaki tribe. Anyway, if you don't know much about Carlos Castaneda, the, these books were kind of like, you know, he, he was an anthropologist talking with, with Don Juan. who was teaching him all these different shamanistic ways and everything. And, of course, he, he'd made it all up. And when the books were written, um, there was a time when Americans were more, more fascinated with the occult and, and, and and just, uh, stuff like that. Um, I don't know, but there was a book called the art of dreaming. And it, one of the techniques it talked about to learn to lucid dream is to try to remember to look at your hands when you're in a dream. And if you can look at your hands, it'll kind of trigger you to wake up, um, and be awake while you're dreaming. Right. And so I meditated on that and thought about that all the time until I actually started doing it. And, uh, started noticing my hands, my dream. And I realized I was dreaming. And first few times I get so excited that I would only still be in the dream for, you know, a few seconds before I'd wake up, but then I got to where I could control it pretty well and stay in the dream for a while. Even got to where I could go into a lucid dream straight away from falling asleep. And, uh, which is a very weird thing. You start to have auditory hallucinations and you feel that, you know, I don't know if you've ever, woken up right as you're about to fall asleep because you feel that kind of falling feeling well turns out you can stay awake through that falling feeling and you feel like a at least my perception feel like a leaf drifting on the wind or rushing wind and eventually it stops and a kind of the dream forms around you and you can kind of do what you want but it's a little strange you kind of feel your body in two places at once that's where i you know i don't know how many of these stories about astral projection and everything are from just lucid dreaming i don't know how much you could say that you're in two places at once or that it's all in your brain or i don't know i've even had uh, sleep paralysis once when i was younger but haven't thankfully I've never had that again but anyway I maybe want to tell a weird lucid dreaming story reading about uh, the DMT game from emmy allen and so i I went into a dream aware I was dreaming. I was looking around at the plants because the plants end up all like, you know, like a Dr. Seuss plant or something weird, you know, I'm feeling it and you can feel stuff and it feels like you're actually touching it and very exhilarating and strange. And, uh, I don't really try to do it anymore. I kind of fell out of it. I don't know. It might sound like the kind of thing like, what do you mean you don't try to do it anymore? It's like, well, no, just sometimes I just want to just sleep. <laughs> i don't know i know i'm getting off on a weird tangent here are we talking about rpg reviews anymore God. but anyway to get back to the story so i see this house and i walk into it and there's this weird guy sitting there with this tray and he looks like he's got like you know some kind of drugs or something on the tray like he's trying to roll up some drugs or take something and i'm like uh, hey and the person looks at me and they're like hey i'm like uh, so what are you doing He's like, oh, I'm just getting effed up, you know? And I'm like, oh, what are you getting effed up on? He goes, I'm just getting effed up on accuracy. I was like, whoa, like blew my mind, my dream. Whether that came from my brain or however you want to think about it, this person's getting messed up on accuracy. Whoa. Sounds like a plot hook for cave girls. Deep morphine transmissions, so check that out. <laughs> wow, I wonder if I need to edit this one No I'm going to let that stick. It's weird stuff, but hey that's how that's how life can be sometimes right we're we are on a ball rotating this uh you know huge burning star out in this endless universe, so stuff is already weird. So back to the reviews over at DIY and Dragons, uh, diyandragons.blogspot.com. This is Ann Hunter's blog. Great blog. If you're not following this one, I love reading what Ann's got to say. I'm talking about the new DCC zine, Crawl Thulu. This is when I really miss Google plus because I didn't even hear about this. It's on issue two, but I'm so glad that I'm following the blogs or I probably would have missed this one. It's like a Lovecraftian campaign using du- dungeon crawl classics. It replaces the luck score with a sanity score It has rules for sanity loss. And all it, this list looks great. I put up two links for issue one and issue two. Got to buy them. Um, uh, they're trying to figure out how to do print on demand, so these are just PDFs right now. So probably I don't know. It's it's the same position with the DMT. I really prefer print, especially with the zine. Um we'll see how, like I say, how eminent the the print is, and I'll, I'll see if I need to pull the trigger on this. But um anyway, if you're you're into Dungeon Crawl Classics, into Call of Cthulhu and, and Lovecraft, Cthulhu seems to be a no-brainer, so definitely go and check that out. <laughs> Speaking of more weird stuff, Throne of Salt, Throne of Salt.blogspot.com. Um Dan Put up kind of these little mini reviews of a bunch of different things, but the the main one I wanted to mention is this God Killers um adventure, a post-cosmic horror module set in Louisiana using the Open D6 rules. And so this is one where I follow the artist um um uh Juan Restrepo. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. I believe Juan is the one that did the the art and um follow them a couple of these folks on twitter and this god killers art oh my god you know not safe for work probably you know it's just a little deranged girl with a knife we're going to some dark places in this hump day but this it, it looks awesome it's getting great reviews um the art is amazing so i just wanted to put up a link uh so you could uh get a look at god killers it doesn't have where it's um where it's for sale, you might just have to Google it and find it, um, but anyway, Throne Assault, taking a look at the God Killers module for Open D6, very strange, very strange. Back to some more just kind of tame, normal old OSR at The Other Side blog, uh, com, Timothy Brandon's blog. There's a review about Maximum Mayhem Adventures. These are some like 1E, Osric, or really any OSR game um, adventures that have been coming out that haven't checked out yet. Maximum Mayhem Dungeons. And uh, the purpose of this post is to talk about number six, the moving maze of the Mad Master, which is being kickstarted right now. But in the process, Timothy goes through the first five and does a little review of each one of them. And so... If you're looking for a quick i love the art and the cover they emulate the old classic um, D&D modules with these and so obviously they've uh they've played some played some old school d and they love it so and these sound really cool um uh, we got to figure out a way to pick these up you know there's so many modules out there uh so many good ones too so but these look really nice in print and um, if you want to find out about those maximum mayhem dungeons you can go over there and take a look at the other Alright. It's getting weird. Okay, quick correction. Uh the cover art for God killers, that's Journeyman that did that. I zoomed in on it. I I, I didn't have any of their stuff open to Sometimes my research is a little slack on this, y'all. I'm doing my best, so apologies to Journeyman. It's Journeyman that did that uh, fantastic God Killers cover, and it's Juan Restripo, Journeyman, and Jamie Chestnut that all worked on this, uh, all for post-human condition games. So, Journeyman, uh, unbelievable art, uh, fantastic, my bad. I follow a couple of them on Twitter, I got it mixed up, so forgive me. I beg forgiveness. So, uh, look, they just did this whole D&D live convention, like uh, with all these games that are normally streamed and stuff. People are watching them live and everything. I saw a bunch of this on Twitter, uh, a bunch of people out there. And, you know, the big deal was that they're announcing all the new 5e products. So, I've got some links up. One from Tribality.com, one from RagingAlbear.blogspot.com, and one from ComicBook.com, talking about the three main products that got announced. First, Baldur's Gate, Descent into Avernus, and this is like a descent into hell. Uh, First level of hell, um, Avernus, first level of the nine hells. So, This looks pretty cool, definitely looks, I mean, this stuff's good. It definitely looks weird. There's a theme. I, I didn't notice this theme when I was putting the links together, but we're doing some dark weirdness um, today. But anyway, um, the one of the cool things it talks about, besides uh, doing a massive sandbox campaign in hell, um, take that, Satanic Panic, right? Um, there are rules for vehicular combat, and they were showing some other images and stuff of these kind of Mad Max-looking... Uh, vehicles you ride around hell in with uh, that, that run on souls. So there's got to be some gameable stuff in there, right? So um, that first Tribality link talks about Descent into Avernus. It's got like a trailer, like a hype trailer they did for it. You can check that out. Probably the thing I'm most excited about, though, is this D&D Essentials kit. It's another starter box. Um, but they're adding character generation into the starter set, uh, that they did not do in the, the first one, you know, just had pre-gen. So this has got character generation, like, uh, and a, and a, all new adventure first to sixth level from Chris Perkins also comes with a DM screen and, um, some dice and a bunch of cool stuff. And, uh, this look really looks awesome. So I, you know, I'm you know, I'm powerless to resist it. I'm definitely buying this Essentials kit. Definitely buying a Vernus too. So, you want to see some images and more details about that 5e Essentials kit. Um, and what's weird, they were saying, I guess it's been like six years since the 5e started. God, you feel old yet? That is so fast. I think it's been six years. But anyway, so this will be another $25 deal. Um... Looks well worth it. I mean, a first to sixth level adventure um, looks good. So check that out. The final thing they dropped, like the last day of the uh, D&D live thing, was that there's going to be an Eberron hardcover. They had already did a uh, Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron PDF that was kind of like playtesting some Eberron stuff. And uh, they've since released a few, you know, they do these unearthed, Uh, Wizards does these Unearthed Arcana free PDFs to playtest stuff, and they've done a few different, like, artificers and stuff that are kind of famed from the Eberron campaign setting. And so there's going to be an actual hardback coming out. And I saw some groaning, as you might expect, from a few folks. uh, People wanting different settings. You know, Everybody's got their favorite um, D&D settings. Um, personally, I'm happy they didn't do Greyhawk. I wanted them to leave Greyhawk alone. No more Greyhawk. I just like old Greyhawk. So, but if you asked me what I would have wanted to see, I wanted Spelljammer. I wanted to do D&D in space, you know, that, that would have been fun to me. Um, I think that would have been just a, a wild, you know, complete 180, from from where things are, and I think they would have made, you know, a billion dollars, personally, I think. Every, you know, But maybe that's coming down the line, you know. Um, but, uh, and I'm not even the biggest Spelljammer fan, I just think, you know, it's time for some D&D in space. I have been playing Starfinder, it's a fine game and everything, but um, I, I think that D&D would have uh, taken it to the next level. If I had to pick another setting... You know they did a pretty good job with fourth edition on dark sun so i'm kind of not hungry for dark sun right now a lot of people want planescape that's just not one i got into or, or really know too much about i've tried to f- uh, pick up the box set for that used on the on the you know like used market and it's always just a little bit too expensive For something that's probably just going to sit on the shelf. Um, Honestly, the settings I would like, they probably would never do. Like, I think doing an updated Birthright deal with domain play that would be pretty awesome. Birthright was uh, criminally underrated. But, number one, I would say Spelljammer. I just think from a business standpoint, they'd make a billion dollars. It would be huge. But, anyway, the next thing, the next setting at least, is Eberron. Which is not so bad either. You know, it's pretty cool it just never seems to live up to that noir promise, you know, they always talk about that, but aside from some lightning rails, it's like, they they don't, you know, they never take it as far as they could, so I'd like to see some kind of grimy detective adventure path or, you know, um, something real street level, uh, you know, amp up the noir and really downplay the fantasy except for the, like, the technology and the classes and stuff, so that, that would be awesome if 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 it was up to me, but as you know, it is not. All right, so I got one more quick plug I'm doing for one of my sponsors. Going to hit you with that real quick. Be back in just a few seconds, and we're going to roll some dice. And now, a word from our sponsors. You can already tell we're dealing with a long hump day this week, but it's awesome so far, at least the content is, so... I'm into it. So random tables and generators, you know, there's always some awesome generators and random tables every week. First one's not one that I actually roll on. It's another one from Alex Schroeder who does so many cool generators. I'm always talking about what Alex is up to. This one's another campaign generator faces for your RPG characters. I just thought this was interesting. So Alex has got a bunch of uh, Alex and some other artists you, know, you go to this link I put up on the your blog, you pick an artist, let's pick Arbost 0, and then it just randomly gives you a random face, you can reload it, and yeah, so that's pretty cool, and then I can just go back and I'll say, well this time I'm going to look at what Yas Baker does, oh, I like this style, I like this one. And I can keep just doing these random faces, so, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you need a, if you're no artist like myself and you want to just get some random faces or random faces for PCs or NPCs or whatever, a random face generator, Alex has thought of everything. All right. So I'd mentioned of lizards and wizards earlier, uh, um, lizards and wizards.blogspot.com lizards and wizards.blogspot.com. I like that title. And, um, so I mentioned them earlier. It's a kind of a brand new blog. I've got three posts up PK dragon, PK dragon, put up a post called potions talking about, it gets into about trying to identify potions by sipping them to try to, you know, see what it is, or maybe they're poison. And, um, and it says that uh, PK says that they like this idea, though in practice the players have not bet their genre savvy enough to know what happens. You know, they don't want to potentially expose themselves to poison. So they're talking about this idea of uh, coming up with very specific colors for potions, where over time they can identify them and things like that. So it's got a little, bit of, little uh, generator to see what potion color we're dealing with. So let's see. Alright, so this potion is crimson with, it's dark crimson and it smells like, it smells absolutely nasty like a toilet or something. So the idea being, they get a few of those together. They maybe risk it to see what they are, or they can do some research. Got some other ideas about how they allow identification methods in their game. Maybe a weak potion, spending ba- spending downtime, um, test them on hirelings or animals. <laughs> oh, sounds like my group. No, I'm kidding. Um, it says they skip over this for base- basic potions of healing. Um, because they're competent enough to know what healing potions look like, assume in their setting or whatever. So I don't know. This was just, the thing I liked about this is not just uh, rolling on the random generators, just seeing someone's house rules, how they handle identifying poison uh, potions and everything. It seems like I always kind of start off real—I don't want to say strict—in my campaigns. Like nah, you've got to wave that sword around to see what it does. It just kind of looks cool, you know. I'm trying to be coy about it. Uh, but then eventually it's just like, yeah, that's a potion of, you know, that's a potion of animal control. Yeah. That's, you know, I don't know tracking rations and th- then they're basically millionaires in the setting it's kind of like, ah, oh, nah, you, whatever you want at the store, just throw it in your bag. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I don't know if anyone else has that experience, but all right, the manse the cackle charm. I love cackle cackle charm's creativity. Always some something interesting. And here it's 12 space 12 spaceship special features that are more trouble than they're worth. So let's see what cackle charms cooking up for us. Uh, okay, ship AI it is highly advanced, remembers things, can fully advise and manage many aspects of the ship. The ship can organize cargo shipments, resupply itself, lock unlocked doors as needed, many other useful functions. However, it is installed with several preset personalities, each one having their problems. There is a kindly grandpa personality which grates on the ears and chides party members for swearing or engaging in effective but dishonorable tactics. There's a sultry female personality, which throws mild and temperamental mood swings, if not constantly sated with gifts or praise. There is even a highly effective default factory personality, which works great, except it constantly needs to shut down to update and pesters the party to buy essentially new features straight from the corporate servers. Let's do one more of these. Okay. Gravity displacement engine allows artificial gravity to select selectively altered in real time along different axes, letting you walk on walls, create heavy zones to keep prisoners contained and on the floor, light zones for industry and ease of movement and so on. Every time the computer reboots or the ship's engines go out, the gravity wildly shifts and fluctuates. One in six chance minor black holes form somewhere in the ship. Okay. Let's see. I got a black hole. Yes. <laughs> Great stuff from the Mats, gaming, cackle charm over there. Check that out. Twelve spaceship special features that are more trouble than they're worth. Lots of cool stuff on the retrospective front. I you know, I gotta keep plugging through this, y'all. I I want y'all to see this. I want to share it, so First at uh, monstermagazineworld.blogspot.com. They've been doing a series. It's up to two so far. I'm sure there'll be more, but it's uh, they're putting up scans from this old Best of Omni Science Fiction from 1980. And I remember seeing Omni. It was a little past me at at at, uh, at that age, but um, the covers would always draw you in, and I'd love looking at the pictures and stuff. And so I know there's a lot of sci-fi. I talked about some sci-fi stuff earlier today. These are really high quality scans, and it's really cool to look back at this. Um, you can just kind of just scroll through and look at the art, or you can zoom in and, and actually read through it. But uh, so I wanted to mention that for the sci-fi fans out there if you want to look at some high quality scans of the best of Omni science fiction. That's at monstermagazineworld.blogspot.com. Over at the Hall of the Mountain King, Jason zavoto-hall of Again, all these links are up at the Thought Eater blog, so y'all can find them nice and easy. But uh, Jason put up a post, Gygax's letter from Alarums and uh, Excursions number two. So this is like the longest running zine in history. It's still running and it's been running since 1975, Alarums and, and Excursions. And this was a letter that Gygax wrote back in July 1975, and it's very, very interesting, and it's quite long. So if you're interested in the history of D&D and everything, and want to see something written at that time period by Gygax, uh, I recommend you check it out. The thing that I that jumped out at me is how different his perspective was at this time than you know it was later with first edition and and his his writings around that time. Because one of the things he mentions in this 1975 letter is uh, referring to Dave Arneson. Dave and I disagree on how to handle any number of things, and both of our campaigns differ from the rules found in D&D. If the time ever comes when all aspects of fantasy are covered and the vast majority of its players agree on how the game should be played, D&D will have become very boring indeed. Sorry, but I don't believe that there is anything desirable in having various campaigns playing similarly to one another. How different is that to what he said about 1E, Um, you know, and the whole purpose of 1E and a lot of his uh, writings in Dragon Magazine, but I like this quote too. Frankly, the reason I enjoy playing in Dave Artisan's campaign is that I do not know his treatments of monsters and such like, so I must keep thinking and reasoning in order to survive. So, very cool. You see some house rules and you see how he claims that uh, D&D came together. He talks a little bit about Empire of the Petal Throne. Very cool to read that letter. Thank you for putting that up, Jason. So, go over to the Hall of the Mountain King and read that letter that Gygax wrote to uh, Alarums and Excursions back in 1975. The Alexandrian, Justin Alexander, talked about this blog many times. The Alexandrian.net. Just a cool post reactions to OD and D hex clearing procedures. And what this basically does is it lays out, you know, the old school hex clearing, getting ready to build your castle and all that. It shows the different rules over time. So it's got the OD and D hex clearing rules, AD and D rules, cyclopedia, and then judges guilds, um, hex crawl procedures and stuff. So if you're, um, I I found this cool. I immediately printed it to PDF just so I have it all in just like one little handy place to kind of compare and contrast the different hex clearing rules. If that's interesting to you, go over to the alexandrian.net and check out that post on the hex clearing procedures. Oldschoolroleplaying.com had, let me see if this person's name is credited. Malcolm the Firebringer put up a great post, The Underdark and Dungeons and Dragons, kind of an overview an overview of the Underdark over time. It talks about its original appearance in uh, the Descent to the Depths of the Earth and the D Series modules. A little bit of flavor about it um, how the Underdark, you know, the Underdark and the Forgotten Realms, common monsters and creatures and races of the Underdark. A lot of nice artwork. Just a kind of a simple read on the Underdark, but if you want to. Go and check it out. I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, just a nice, handy-dandy little post to read about the Underdark. Um, at Mythlands.erce might be erce Mythlands.e.r.c.e.blogspot.com. Great post here. An homage to the Keep on the Borderlands. 4K wallp- wallpapers rear cover. I took the weir- the rear cover art from Keep on the Borderlands and cleaned it up for a really high resolution uh, for like wallpapers for your um, computer and then they ran some filters around with it and made different variations and I put one of these up that looks really cool and uh, so go over there and check that out it's that iconic picture of the uh, the uh, like the party approaching the keep and uh, for really high quality nice uh, variations on it so that is really nice stuff and that's from Anders H so thank you Anders I love that love these I love the different filters on it. Um, Pretty awesome. At blackmoremastara.blogspot.com, this is Havard who's been um, doing, you know, keeping Arneson stuff alive, keeping Blackmore alive for uh, maybe almost two decades now. Um, uh, Fantastic blogger has done a lot for the game, uh, a lot for keeping games alive put Up a post, Dave Arneson article in the Minnesota Post uh, at the Minnesota Post website. And so this links over to an, a post on David Arneson from the Minnesota Post website. <laughs> but it's great to see, uh, as Havard mentions, it's great seeing more attention given to Arneson now 10 years after his passing. But it says uh, it repeats the common mistake in Havard's opinion of putting too much emphasis on the role of chain mail that is all kind of still uh, debatable and uh, obviously Gygax wanted to emphasize even does that in the, uh, the aforementioned letter emphasizing um, the influence of chain mail on early D and D others will just say they just, it was just kind of thrown in there and none of the mechanics got used and it was just uh, for flavor or whatever. Um, there's all kinds of different accounts that you'll, you'll read about it. Um, I think that the truth is somewhere in the middle um and that Gygax and Arneson both deserve a lot of credit um- w- without them both it w- it wouldn't have happened, but this is just a nice uh, kind of overview and uh uh kind of remembrance um article about arneson and uh so it's definitely worth a read worth checking out, and I think that's what yep yeah, that's what I've got for the Uh, delirium for the retrospectives almost done I got one more big topic and we will be done with the hump day here we go so it's really interesting kind of over time how the hump day thing has evolved and I I haven't been podcasting that long uh, but uh, how much things have changed and it was like with the hump day like my first one I think it was like 15 minutes long I wasn't posting the links up on the Thought Eater blog And it was just a few random links. And and I slowly kind of congealed into doing the maps first. And then now I'm kind of doing, you can always expect some maps. I know I'll talk about some new releases. I always like to do the random tables. You know, first wasn't rolling on those. Now I like to roll on them. I'll mix a few other things in, likely some retrospectives. And then it seems like at the end, I'm kind of doing a, a, pulling a Mickey, uh, Uh, pulling an Andy Rooney, (laughs) pulling a Mickey Rooney. Oh, nobody wants that. Pulling an old Mickey Rooney on you. No, pulling an Andy Rooney with like an editorial at the end. And, um, I kind of like doing that. Sometimes I don't see something that catches my eye, but, uh, this time, uh, this week I did, uh, and I probably could have mentioned this blog with the new bloggers because this is Jordy, the DMs blog, wizards with laser rifles and, uh, their fifth post. So very recent wizardswithlaserrifles.blogspot.com, and I really enjoy this post. It's called, If This Campaign Ended Tomorrow. It says, "If I, I asked my players this question a week or two ago. If this campaign ended tomorrow, what would you still wish you'd gotten to do? Why did I do this? And Jordy says, they've been experiencing a bit of a crisis in their crawl jammer campaign. When they initially started the campaign, they wanted to have a very let-the-players-drive philosophy about it. they choose where to go, what to do, and they'd make that happen. And they say they think they failed in that respect. They like to think that on the micro level, the players have a lot of choices how to approach things. But the situations they get into, Jordy's creating those and sending them to them. So they've sort of accidentally created an adventure path. Why did this happen? Probably mostly because I began the campaign without enough prep to feel comfortable with the idea that I wouldn't know where it was going. I'm still a relatively new DM and my players aren't any more experienced than I am. So we ended up doing something that's more familiar, a guided experience. I, through NPCs, give them missions, they go do them. I don't think there's been a single instance in my campaign yet where the players haven't wanted to do what was offered, so in that sense I feel a little bit better about this. Is there this really a bad thing? I'd argue that it isn't because we're having fun. The players are engaged. But I am frustrated this isn't really the game I set out to play, but I think that's a lesson for the future. So what's the point? I'm paraphrasing some of this. Asking that question was important for me and my players because now I know what they care about as I figure out where we're going. I can direct them towards things they care about. I think this is a really simple, straightforward question that some DMs might not ask because they're trying to maintain some sense of mystery or maybe they just don't want to include their players in the process of where the campaign's going. I can see arguments for that, but I counter it's nice to know where people are hoping to go. We literally have our audience right there to offer some guidance on what they want to see and do. Why not use it? So this really gets to that kind of point between sandbox and I'm not gonna say story game, but sandbox and railroad and that middle ground, right? That that sweet nougat in the middle. Because look, I love a good sandbox. But I can tell you this. Well, first of all, I love a good sandbox because I I have a great sandbox toolkit. Like, I've got a toolkit of OD&D, some hex sheets, a bunch of random tables and stuff to where if if, if I need to just, if I want to run a game, no preparation, no idea where it's going, everything's completely random, stuff comes emergent from play, I can do that. But I, these days, I've mentioned it before, I'm getting older. I missed out on some classics. I like r- running these uh, old adventure modules and stuff. And they might have some sandbox elements, but ultimately there's a plot to them, you know. Even you look at the, the greatest modules of all time, ones where it's a, you know, huge hex map, like Descent to the Depths of the Earth or whatever, you know. Ultimately, there is a there is a plot. Um, there is a thread of of, of plot there. I have just did a blog post the other day on the Merciless Merchants, and one of the things I love about their modules is there's, there's a little bit of a string of a, of a plot or something going on, but then everything else is completely these, you know, no two groups will play it the same. They go to all these random locations and everything. But ultimately, it's not completely random. There are some thematic elements, there are plots, Whatever. Other times, you know, some players respond differently to games. Some players will even tell you, you can call it a myth if you want, but some people prefer to have less freedom, so to speak. They actually prefer to have some kind of plot, some kind of adventure, some kind of where to go, what to do, rather than just saying, okay, what do you all want to do? You know, while some players, you know, react in revulsion to anything approaching... Uh, a railroad e- even you know and some players you know i don't even want to dignify them by calling them players delight in tormenting dms and uh I read horror stories uh just want to dump all over you know i don't even know why they play they just want to dump over what someone's created and these kind of things and so you know jordy's mentioned being relatively new you know there is nothing wrong with uh Having some NPCs, I mean, that's why it is a. Um, that's why it's a trope for, you know, to go to the the inn or go to the tavern and and you know they get given a mission or whatever. That that is a a million campaigns have started that way, a million more will be run that way, and there's nothing wrong with it. Cause you just sense a little bit on reading this, that it's kind of like, is this the right way to do it or? That they wanted to start one way, didn't want to go the other. They know that, and obviously Jordy's read people on both sides of the fence, people saying that Sandbox, complete and total Sandbox is the only way. I to... The ultimate thing is what Jordy mentions. Is it really a bad thing? I would argue that it isn't because we're having fun. That's what it comes down to. Are you having fun? That is as simple as you can make it. If you want, if what works for your group is something more tightly scripted, great. If you want to, if what works for your group is random everything, you don't even know what the next hex is until the DM runs it and the DM's got to just make it up on the fly, that's fun too. I like it all, right? Um, But um, I tend towards sandboxes, but I like a little plot hook there. And I got to say... I've got a lot of stuff I want to run, a lot of modules. Um, I I don't have the time or honestly the drive. I'm too lazy to... I'd rather just run some stuff that's already been written and prepared and that I can work off of. Obviously, you change it, you modify it on the fly, but, you know, if I'm breaking some kind of old-school rule by running a module, I could care less. So, Ultimately, I guess this was interesting to read because of all those kind of questions it asked that, that push pull, that, that uh, tug of war between, um, adventure paths or plots and completely open sandbox and wide open player choice. But the other thing I liked about it is I think it is a good question in a sense that it's kind of like if the world was going to end, what would you do? Or, you're moving away and you always were in love with the, the that girl in your neighborhood, you know, would you, would you go talk to her one last time or what would you do if, if you, if everything was slipping out of your fingers and you know, so if, if you say you were moving away, you're the DM and, and you're, you've got like a, a couple of weeks left to run your game. This is a completely natural question you'd ask if, Hey, if I'm moving away. What are some things in the campaign that you really wanted and that's going to give you, you know, all kinds of hooks. And and, and it really, when you think about it, that's not, um, that's making it more of a sandbox. That's not turning it into a story game. That's showing what the players want and allowing the DM to come up with something on the fly. I mean, that really is playing a sandbox. It's just asking the question in a different way, maybe asking it out of character and then being able to work with it. Anyway, I could keep talking about this, but I'd love it if somebody, if y'all are listening and want to go read this article, because I really, really liked it over at wizardswithlaserrifles.blogspot.com. I liked it because it raised a lot of questions about different ways people play. I liked it because, um, and I liked it because that question asked if the camp, if this campaign ended tomorrow, what would you still wish you'd gotten to do? What do y'all think about that? Is a question, is it, um, Do you see that as a story game thing or, you know, and I say story game, look, don't take me the wrong way because I'd try any of those games. It's just, uh, what I mean by that is games where the players have a big role in like designing the world, you know, and one game that I think is cool, kids on bikes. It's one where the, the, the person running the game and the players, they all talk about and come up with locations like the players come up with locations, things that are there in the town, and it's done collaboratively. There's nothing wrong with that, so I'm not saying story game like it's a four letter word here. What I mean is if you know is it too much on you know is the d m seeding control is the d m losing control to ask the players you know what their motivations are, or is that the is that turning into a story game, or is that really the essence of the sandbox right? I don't know. I know I'm tired. I know I've been doing this podcast for a long time today. So I hope I did justice to what Jordy was getting to there. Um, I'd love, like I said, if somebody wants, if y'all want to go check it out, read about this. Uh, if this campaign ended tomorrow, I thought it raised a lot of interesting thoughts. I'd love to hear you call in and let me know what you thought about it as well. So great stuff, Jordy. And like I said, from my perspective, if y'all are having fun, that's where it starts and end, it starts and ends with that. You're having fun. I shudder to think how long this episode was. I'll have to take a look at it. Feels like it went on forever, but it felt like all the stuff was so cool. I love doing this show. I'm so thankful for people listening. I'm you know, I love the blogs. Just uh thankful for all you know, everybody that um did these awesome posts. I'm thankful for y'all. So, um, one thing I just put under the outro over the Thought Eater blog for you to check out, I saw that, you know, the D&D cartoon, there's like a live action, uh, Renault, I guess, car company, um, is doing a live, you know, uh, commercial with a live action portrayal of the characters from the original, you know, early eighties D&D cartoon. So, that thought thought that was a nice little outro A nice little cherry on the cake you check out these folks uh, acting out those classic characters uh great marketing uh they should do it over here in the states i'd love to see it um but um anyway hope y'all enjoyed it i enjoyed uh i enjoyed talking about all this stuff this week so if you've got any uh i've met you know you've heard me mention the uh the call-in feature here, so if you're using the Anchor app or listening, you know, give me a call, I'll put you on the air, um, let me know what you think about any of the topics we talked about today, if you want to message me it's uh, with an email, it's frothsoft, frothsof at gmail.com, there's also a contact form at the Thought Eater blog, Thought Eater blog of course is frothsoftdnd.blogspot.com huge shout to my patrons backing me on patreon thank y'all so much sincerely thank you so much um you know i'm plugging away and it's it's awesome for somebody to you know throw a little something my way thank you for that got it set up if anybody's interested it's only a dollar a month if you like what i'm doing with the podcast the blog the zines whatever you can support me for a buck a month trying to build that up but I want it to come naturally, so if you like what I'm doing, check it out. Patreon.com forward slash thought eater. Whew, I'm so glad I don't have to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> uh hope y'all don't I hope y'all have some good time off. I hope y'all are gonna have a great uh upcoming weekend with your families or with your friends. I hope you got some gaming lined up. I wish you all the best. And um Logan, carry me home. You sickly platypus, a psychic grenade
1: zeroing in on your mental trade. Gonna help you escape from the grind. Thought eater, gonna blow your
0: mind. <laughs>